0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, we are in the midst of a a two-week mini-series for Christmas that we're calling An Old Testament Christmas. So last week, we we looked at uh, uh, Micah chapter five in a message that I titled Small Town Christmas. This morning, we're gonna be looking at Isaiah chapter nine, the first six verses, in a message that we've titled What's in a Name? What's in a name? So let's start off by looking at the first six verses, where the prophet Isaiah writes in, in, in chapter 9, verse 1, and says, "...but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In, 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 in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in later time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations." The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, and as, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and, and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his, of, the, of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of, of, of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, uh, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that, that this morning we get to read your word, for in your word this morning, we read of the gift of our salvation, the gift of your son that you've given to, to give us life, to give us hope, to bring light in our darkness. So we pray that, that as we go through your word this morning, you, you, would, you would open our hearts to receive it, that you'd open our ears to actually hear what you're saying. You would strip away the distractions, strip away uh, the, the cares and the anxieties that, we, that, we're, that we're struggling with, and that all that we're focused on now is receiving from you today because you've given us uh, the, 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 the glorious gift of your son. So we want to receive your word and receive uh, the, 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 the promise that you have for us this morning. We pray this now in Jesus' name, and everyone say it, amen. <clears throat> you ever have that feeling that you're going to sneeze and it just doesn't happen? I mean, like, just rip off, right? I mean, just like you know, you just like, just want to get it out of there, anyway. So, it's it, if it happens, you've been warned. That's why the front row is kind of empty. It's the splash zone. Um, so, anyway, uh, the message is what's. In a name. Now, listen. Maybe, maybe you're expecting. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're pregnant. And if so, maybe, maybe you've spent the last several weeks, you know, googling baby names. Now, of course, back in my day, Amy and I, we we didn't Google. We just had baby name books, you know. But or maybe you're keeping up with the with the latest trends, you know, the the trending baby names. If so, let me give you the top three baby names of this year. Are uh, the top three boy names and the top three girl names. Now, here's the top three boy names. Coming in at number three is the name Oliver. Uh, coming in at number two is the name Liam. And the number one, the most popular boy's name in the whole nation is Paul Boutin. <laughs> Crazy, right? No, but uh, actually it's, it's, it's Noah. And so it's, it's all Liam and Noah. And then the top three girls names uh, would, would be number three, Amelia, number two, Emma, and then the number one girl name, Ali- Olivia of this year. Now, the weirdest, the strangest girl name of this year was Moon Unit. That is a strange name. And then the strangest boy name of this year is Version 2.0. You no longer call your son Junior, you call him Version 2.0. Well, this morning here in Isaiah chapter 9, we discovered that there was more to the name of Jesus than meets the eye. And so now as we go back to verse 1, uh, we see that Isaiah's prophecy is a prophecy with, with darkness as the backdrop. And so again in verse 1 it says, "...but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In, in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in later time he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations." Now, here's the context. You see, the background behind the book of Isaiah was, was that at this time in history, the nation of Israel was, was littered with pagan idols all over the nation. In fact, the, the, the temple in Jerusalem was, was, was littered, was just filled with pagan idols. And so the, the people had stripped all of the trees of the forest and turned them into idols. They, they, were, they were using the, the nation's precious resources like gold and, and silver and jewels to make those into idols. And so literally, it was like the whole nation of Israel had become like a, like a trash heap filled with pagan idols. And so it's with that context in mind that for the previous two or three chapters, the prophet Isaiah has been prophesying that judgment was coming. Because of their sin, because of idol worship, judgment was coming. And now, on the heels of that, verse 1 starts by saying, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Now, of course, the word but is a, is a contrast word, right? And so again, Isaiah has been prophesying judgment. He's been prophesying darkness. He's been prophesying gloom. And now in contrast to that darkness, in contrast to to the sin of the nation, in contrast to the judgment that's about to come upon that nation, now Isaiah says, but in the midst of that darkness, there's the promise of light. There's, there's the promise of light, just as the stars shine the brightest in, in the darkest of the skies, uh, just as, as, as a jeweler will display the brightness of the diamond on the blackest of velvet, I, Isaiah the prophet is proclaiming that when, when things get the darkest they've ever been, that is when God will send his son, Jesus, to be the light of the world. So as we pick it up in verses two through five, we we see that Isaiah says, out of darkness will come the light of the world. Verse two says again, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As, as they are glad when they divide spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, uh, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of, of the tramping warrior in, in, in battle tumult, every garment that's rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So now this prophecy starts in verse two with Isaiah simply saying that, that the people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Then he goes on and he says, those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Now, Isaiah's prophecy was, was literally fulfilled when, when Jesus came into the world, when Jesus was born. In fact, Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah had, had given a prophecy and, and prophesied about Jesus in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 79, and he says that Jesus came to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. He came to give light. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, For it is God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, who has who shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then finally, Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so over and over, the New Testament was declaring that, that Jesus was the very one that Isaiah the prophet was talking about 700 years beforehand. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied he would be the light of the world. And so he proclaims that that in the midst of, of darkness, in the midst of gloom, in the midst of judgment will come the one who will bring salvation, come the one who will bring life, will come the one who will bring light into the darkness. Now we notice also in verse two that after it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Notice it says, they have seen a great light. It doesn't say they will one day see a great light. They have seen. A great light, and then it goes on a verse three and says, "You have multiplied the nations; you have increased its joy. Not one day you'll you'll multiply the nations. Not one day you 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 will you will multiply or increase their joy. You have already increased the nation. You have already multiplied their joy. You see, again, Isaiah is writing about this seven hundred years in advance. And yet, this is what we often call the prophetic past tense." The prophetic past tense, meaning that that he's writing 700 years before it ever happened, 700 years before Jesus was born, and yet he's writing about the events as if they've already taken place, as if they've already happened. It was sort of the prophet's way of saying, you know what? When God makes a promise, you can take his promise to the bank. You can count on it. It's a guarantee. It may not happen right here, right now. It may take 700 years for it to happen. But when he makes a promise, you're guaranteed it's going to happen. You can take it to the bank. And so... Isaiah is writing at a time where the people, uh, because of their sin, because of their rebellion, because of their idol worship, God's going to hand them over to judgment. He's going to allow them to be slaves to the very nations that taught them how to worship these idols in the first place. And yet, Isaiah is also promising that a day will come when light will come into their darkness. A day will come when, when the people will be saved from their judgment. And so the prophet is so certain that the Savior is coming that he writes about it in the past tense. He's guaranteeing that it's going to take place. And now with that, as we pick it up in verse six, he now tells us what his name shall be. Verse six, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so now, the prophet Isaiah is telling us that, 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 that he who was born to bring light into the darkness was also born to be the king. In fact, he's born to be a king with four different names. Four different names. Now, first of all, he's called Wonderful Counselor. Now, in some of your English translations, that's separated by a comma. It would say Wonderful and then Counselor. But I think the translators of the ESV, the English Standard Version, I think they got it right when they grouped them together. Wonderful Counselor. Now, the word wonderful, by the way, is a Hebrew word that's not only translated wonder, but it can be translated amazement or surprise or, or bewilderment. Like a perfect picture is, is, is when my son, Zach, was like maybe two, maybe three years old. It was Christmas, and, and, and you know, it was like Christmas Eve, and Amy and I, after, after we put him down for bed, uh, we, we stayed up late to decorate the Christmas tree. Now, late for me is anything past eight o'clock, by the way. So the later it's getting and the later it's getting, the crankier I'm getting, you know, it was kind of a cranky Christmas, uh, you know, but, but it was all worth it because, because the next morning, Zach comes down in his little footed pajamas. He sees the tree for the first time, all of its decorations and all of its lights. And he's, he's like, wow, wow, wow. That's wonder. That's wonderful. That's the word. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way. He says, the word wonderful means that there'll be nothing dull about Christ's reign. And so in the Old Testament, whenever God does something that, that's beyond our comprehension, whenever God does something that, that's beyond our understanding, something that blows our mind, like hashtag mind blown, the word wonderful is always the word that's used to describe that. It's, 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 it's too wonderful for words. And so the prophet Isaiah is telling us that you know what, when Jesus comes and he reigns on the earth, there'll be nothing dull, nothing boring about his reign. it's going to be wonderful. in fact, it's going to be so wonderful it's beyond description it's beyond comprehension it's beyond words. And so he tells us what he will be also. Not only does he tell us he'll be wonderful, he tells us what he will be. He says he will be counselor. He can be translated advisor he'll be wonderful. Counselor, wonderful advisor. Now in contrast to that, there's there's also the words of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, where, where Isaiah says, Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him? In other words, who counsels God? Who tells God what to do? Well, the answer, if we're honest, is frankly, I do. We all do, right? I mean, you know, haven't all of us in in our own private prayer time uh, taken a moment or two to tell God what to do, kind of instruct God? I have, you know, I mean, you know, recently when my uncle was dying of cancer, I mean, I I was praying and I was like, you know, Lord, this would be the perfect opportunity for you to heal him. This would be the perfect chance for you to show your glory, to display your power for everybody, you know, just to, to heal him and counseling God, telling God what to do. Or, you know, then again, maybe, maybe you got a job interview. You, you've applied for a job. You've got the interview, and you're like, you know, Lord, this would be the perfect job for me. Lord, I need you to give, open the door give, give me this job. You know, maybe you're a single young lady, and you're like, you know, Lord, that, that tall, dark, handsome guy over there who's also a Christian, he'd be the perfect guy for me. Maybe you're, you know, a young Christian man, and you're like, hey, that holy hottie over there, Lord, I mean, you know, she's the one. And so each of us, in, 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 in our own way, we, we've told God what to do. We, we counsel God what to do. Listen, Isaiah says that he's the wonderful counselor. In other words, he's the wonderful counselor, not you. His counsel is wonderful, yours, not so much. But when it says that, that, that he's the wonderful counselor, here's what it means it means that his counsel will blow your mind. His counsel is beyond our understanding beyond our comprehension. I mean, haven't there been times when, when, when God's instructed you to do something, when God's put on your heart to do something, God's led you to do something that, that, that just doesn't make any sense? I mean, you just don't get it? His counsel, his direction is wonderful, sometimes beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension. Isaiah 55, verses eight and nine, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Or as the late J.B. Phillips put it, he says, if God was small enough for us to figure out, then he wouldn't be big enough for us to worship. And so, listen, we can trust that as our wonderful counsel, counselor, he gives perfect counsel. He gives, he gives solid, trustworthy counsel. You can trust what he's telling you to do. So number one, he's the wonderful counselor. But then he says in, in, in verse six that he's also the mighty God. The Hebrew term here is El Gabor. It, it can be translated hero or, or champion or strong one or powerful warrior, and it's often used in the context of military. And so in one sense, it's saying, you know what, when the Christ child comes, he, he, he was born to, 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 to fight on behalf of his people. But on the other sense, it's saying, you know what, that, that he's the one who's all-powerful. He's the one that's all-powerful so we put it together. We have wonderful counselor plus mighty God. And what we have is this. We have that, 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 that Jesus as our wonderful counselor has a wonderful plan for your life. He's the one who makes plans for your life. But as mighty God, he's also the one who has the power to bring about those plans for your life. He's the one that has the power to actually make it happen. In other words, listen, his plans don't happen because of our effort, because of our might, because of our striving. No, his plans are accomplished in his power. Think of it this way. Jesus came to do on behalf of his people what his people were powerless to do for themselves. Whereas Jesus said in, in Matthew 19, 26, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So he came as wonderful counselor. He came as mighty God. And then number three, verse six says, he came as everlasting father. And that word father there, uh, it's, it's a word that was used in ancient context, uh, often used to describe a king. Because in ancient times, kings were often considered the spiritual father, sort of the, the political father of the nation. So that's how we know that he came as king. But it says he came as everlasting father, everlasting king. In other words, he's going to reign forever and ever and ever. There'll be no end to his reign. Not only that, but but everlasting also implies the idea that, that with Jesus, there's no beginning and no ending. He's the same, the Bible says, yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, you can count on him, he doesn't change. Now listen, some of you, like me, you've had had your father walk out on you. You've had your father abandon you. Some of you have been hurt by your father. That's not how it is with him. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He's not going to walk out on you. Jesus says, I will never leave you, never abandon you. I am with you always. You can trust him. Now, by the way, here's a crazy thought. You think of, 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 of Joseph. You remember Joseph and, and Mary? So Joseph, the, the adopted father of Jesus. When, when Joseph held the baby Jesus in his arms, do you realize he was holding his everlasting father in his arms? Kind of sounds like the song, I Am My Own Grandpa, right? <laughs> so he's, 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 he's wonderful counselor. He, he's mighty God. He's the everlasting father. And then finally, verse six says, he's the prince of peace. Literally from the Hebrew, it could be translated, the prince whose very arrival brings peace. That's why Jesus came. He came to bring peace. As I mentioned last week, this reminds us of the very first Christmas, where after Jesus was born, the angels appear to the shepherds in the field, and they make an announcement. They say, they say you know, we, we, we bring good news, because unto you a child is born who is Christ the Lord. And then it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, that the angels then say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. He came to bring peace. Now think about this. It's been estimated that, that, that in human history, there, there have been over 3,500 years worth of war. And yet out of 3,500 years worth of war, there have only been 280 years worth of peace. And so we wonder, well, if Jesus came to bring peace, then, then why is there so much war? Why, why is there so much violence in the world? Well, as we mentioned last week, think of it this way. Jesus did not come to bring peace between man and man. No, Jesus came to bring peace between man and God. That's why Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He came to bring peace between man and God. Listen, the Bible teaches that the reason we need Jesus is, to to give us peace with God is because our sin separates us from God. In fact, the Bible says that our sin makes us God's enemy. And that's why we need Jesus to make peace. Jesus came to bring peace. Or as Greg Laurie put it, sin is the great separator, but Jesus is the great reconciler. And so Ephesians 2.14 says, for he himself is our Peace. This is why he's come. He came to bring peace between man and God. And so he's the wonderful counselor. He's, he's mighty God. He's, he's the everlasting father, and he's the prince of peace. So now as we look one more time at, at the beginning of verse 6, we're going we're gonna to answer the question of what's in a name? Verse 6 says again, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Some of your translations would say, For unto us a child is born. Unto who? Well, well unto those uh, those of us who are in darkness. Unto those of us who, who are surrounded by hopelessness. Uh, unto those of us who, who, because of our own sin, because of our own choices, because of our own decisions, we've been separated from God. Unto us, a child was born. Unto us, a son was given. Now that verse gives us both heaven's perspective and also the earth's perspective. Because you see, for us, Christmas is, is the time where we celebrate the, the birth of, of the baby Jesus in the manger in, in Bethlehem, but from God's perspective, a son was given. We receive, but he gave. We celebrate at Christmas the, the arrival of Jesus, but, but for God the Father, it was the departure of his son from heaven. You know, and sometimes uh, we, we get so caught up in the Christmas story that, that we tend to think that the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, in the manger, that that was the beginning of Jesus. That's when his origin started. That's when he began. But as we mentioned last week, that's not true. As we mentioned last week, he's the preexistent one. He's always existed. Why? Because he's God. The Bible says he has no beginning and no ending. That's why last week's verse in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it said, Out of you, Bethlehem, shall come forth one whose origins have been from everlasting. He's the everlasting one. So the birth of Jesus in, in, in the manger in Bethlehem, that wasn't the beginning of Jesus. That, rather, was just the moment in time when the everlasting one himself stepped into our world. That's the moment in time when when God took on human flesh and God became a man. And so the question is, what's in a name? Well, verse six says that his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You think about it, that's that's quite a name, isn't it? You know, I mean, uh, how many of you remember when the basketball player Ron Artest legally changed his name to Metta World Peace back in 2011? Nobody. Okay, good. So that's good. And, and then he did it again later on in 2014, changed his name to, to the Panda's Friend. That's quite a name. But listen, that's nothing compared to, to Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, by the way, what if that's what you named your kid? I mean, could you imagine? I mean, you named your kid that. And what if, what if they got in trouble? Now, obviously, Jesus would never get in trouble. But your kid would. Why? Because he's your kid. You know, and so he gets in trouble and, and now you all of a sudden you're yelling at the top of your lungs and you're like, you know, hey, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, just get over here, put that down. It's a mouthful, right? Now to make things even more confusing, later on the angel Gabriel shows up on the scene and he, and he announces to Joseph and tells Joseph that, that Mary's with child. And, and, and then in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, Gabriel says, She shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's confusing. So on the one hand, the angel Gabriel says that his name will be Jesus. But on the other hand, 700 years before, the prophet Isaiah said his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, leaving us to wonder which one is it? Answer, D, all of the above. You see, his name was one thing and he was called something else. You have a name and then you're called something. And so his name was Jesus. Now, the name Jesus is a Greek name uh, that's actually more related to the name Joshua today, but it's a name that literally means salvation, savior. That's why he came. He came to be our savior. But then Isaiah says he'll be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You have your name and then you have what you're called. For example, my name is Paul Boutin, but I've been called a lot of different things. Some of them not so flattering. You know, I mean, you know, I've been, I've been called Pastor Paul. I've been, I've been called more, more recently Personal Trainer Paul. And then I've been called some rather unflattering things as well. You know who you are. Uh, but, you know, so, but, but we have our name and then we have what we are called. You know, it's like the little boy I told you about that was lost at Walmart. And so the clerk's trying to help him find uh, his, his mom. And he says, well, what, what, what's your mom's name? And he says, mommy. Okay, uh... Well, what do your your brothers and sisters call your mom? He says, mommy. Okay, uh, how about your dad? What does your dad call your mom? Little boy stands up, gets a big grin on his face, puffs out his chest with a big deep voice. He says, hey, baby. (laughs) So you have your name and then you have what you're called his name is Jesus. He's our savior. But the prophet Isaiah is telling us that, that he who was born to be our savior was also born to bring light into our darkness. He was also born because God has a, a wonderful, mind-blowing plan for your life and that Jesus alone has the power to bring that plan into action. He was born to bring peace between you and God. And so Isaiah says in Isaiah 9:6, 6, His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, by the way, that, that word called, in verse 6, when he says, His name shall be called, it's the Hebrew word kara. Not only is this word translated into the English word as named or called or appointed, but, 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 but it also can be translated proclaim or announce In fact, uh, it's the same word that's used later on in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, where it says, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now that verse was a prophecy about John the Baptist. It's telling us that the call on John the Baptist's life was was to call out or to proclaim or to announce and make the way for the Lord, announce that the Lord was coming. And so this word is translated named or called or, or proclaim or preach. You might say that, that, that his name proclaims who he is, that his name pro, pro, proclaims and, and, and preaches God's plan for your life. So what's in a name? Well, this morning we discover that, that in the name of the baby Jesus, there was a message, a message to the world. And so I've come to declare to you this morning, just like the prophet Isaiah, declaring to the people of Israel, I've come to declare to you that Jesus came to bring light into your darkness, that Jesus came to bring joy in the midst of your gloom, that Jesus came to bring freedom from your bondage, that he came because he has a wonderful plan. He has a wonderful plan and purpose for your life and he is mighty God. He has the power to bring that plan into action in your life. And ultimately, he came so that you can have peace with God. That if you put your faith in him, you put your trust in him, you ask him to come into your life, you can finally have peace with God. Why? Because up until now, your sin has separated you from God. That's why there's this emptiness. That's why there's this darkness. That's why there's this void that something's missing. Because your sin separates you from God. It makes you God's enemy. But when you ask Jesus to come into your life, he brings his peace with you, with him. He's come that you may have peace with God and you can have that today. Amen? Amen. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your son, the gift of our salvation. Lord, you came to bring light into our darkness, you came to bring hope where where, where there was hopelessness. And Lord, ultimately you came to bring peace. Peace between you and us. You know what, maybe you're in this room this morning and, and maybe that's what you need. Maybe you've been thinking, you know, I need to get some religion. No, you don't need religion, you need peace. You need a relationship with God because religion can only take you so far, but God will take you all the way. And that's why Jesus came. He came that you would have peace, a personal relationship with God. And listen, if that's what you need, if, 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 you, if you need that emptiness, you need that void, you need that darkness taken care of, you need it filled then you just, by faith, you step out and you say, Jesus, that's what I need. I need you in my life. And when he comes into your life, he brings his peace with him. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I surrender myself to you because you gave your life to me. I'm giving my life to you. And so thank you for, 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 your, for your, your, your love and for your mercy. I invite you into my life. And I surrender myself to you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.